Well, you know what? You guys are a good-looking bunch. And you sound pretty good, too. Well, this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. And um, just to recap where we were uh, last week in Exodus 18, 1 through 12 there, uh, Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, has uh, come to meet up with Moses and bringing with him uh, Moses' wife and children. And so um, at some point during the journey, uh, Moses sent his, uh, his wife and children to, to go be with, with Jethro and uh, stay with him for a time, and Jethro brings them back to be reunited with Moses. And when Jethro and Moses meet, um, Moses shares with Jethro all that God has done. And, and Moses doesn't try to shine it up, you know, and make, make himself look good in all of this, but rather he tells it warts and all so that the glory and power of God can shine clearly. So that there's no mistake to Jethro who accomplished all of this for him and his people. And Jethro... Um, we see him respond with, with uh, his response is characteristic of someone who has a genuine saving faith in the Lord. So some of those things we talked about last week were that we saw in Jethro's response to Moses bearing witness to all that God had done were characteristics of saving faith. One, that he responds with joy. Second thing was he gave a verbal expression to that joy. The third part was that he confessed the Lord as Lord. Fourth, he worshipped the Lord. And fifth, he joined others in worshiping the Lord. And so we've got to see that those characteristics of a saving faith that really are present with us today for those who choose to follow Christ and trust in Him, that, that we experience these same qualities in our relationship with Christ. We're going to look here, at, pick it up in verse 13 today, and we're going to actually, uh, uh, as we work towards the end here of that passage, we're going to see that, that there are some, some qualities here with Moses that really kind of demonstrate a maturity in his relationship with the Lord. That is that that he's coming to know the Lord more and more for who he really is and understand his own place in the light of who the Lord is. And really that's what our, our maturity in our faith is really all about. It's getting a greater and more accurate perspective of who the Lord is and along with that, a more accurate perspective of how we fit in to God's purpose and plan. And so we're going to see, look at some of those things today as we pick it up here. So I'd like to just uh, ask the Lord to really lead us into truth this morning together. Father, as we open Your Word once again, we trust You, Holy Spirit, to be the interpreter for us of Your Word, that we would receive it rightly and under, understand it correctly. Lord, that You would reveal Yourself to us for who you really are. 
Lord, we ask that anything that would hinder us, um, wrong thinking, Lord, some, some um, sin within our own heart that has been undealt with up to this point, Lord, that you would help us to, to reconcile those things at right now, Lord, before you. That we would be open to receiving your word and having you teach us today. Lord, we want to know you more completely, more fully. Lord, we want to worship you for who you really are. And we want to have our lives transformed by a greater understanding of, of who you really are and drawing deeper into our, this relationship with you. So Lord, we ask that you would lead us into all truth today. And we thank you just for the opportunity, Lord, to be all together to receive your word and pray that you would, Lord, unite us as one in your spirit, in this common faith, in our common Savior, with this common word. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13 is where we'll start. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So one of the things that, that's happening at this point in Exodus is that uh, uh, Moses' uh, duties have, have grown, have expanded. Um, and, and it's understandable because when we, when we consider the context of of Israel at this point, they've recently exited Egypt. Egypt was all they knew of, of existence until the Lord saved them. This generation of, of Israelites n- didn't know anything different than life in Egypt. So they're learning a whole new way to live. Not only that, but they've been reunited with their covenant God the one who sees them, the one who heard their cries while they were in Egypt, the one who saved them out of Egypt, out of slavery, saved them from the Egyptian army, and now is saving them in the midst of the desert, both from from hunger and thirst and enemies. And they're, they're growing in their understanding of who He really is. But they're also trying to work out in the midst of that what it means to be a people who belong to God. What does it look like in the, daily, in the daily stuff for them to be the people of God? For them to walk with Him by faith? What does that really look like? Um, and that's the same issue that we wrestle with, right? When we, when we read God's Word or when we receive uh, teaching on God's Word uh, or counsel from others from God's Word, the one thing that we eventually have to work out if it's going to be of any use to us is how do, we, how do we go from hearing it and believing it to putting it into practice? What does it mean for, for me in the context of where I live? How, how do I do something with this? And that's where we pass from, from knowledge into wisdom. It's knowing what to do with what we now know. 
and then having the courage to follow through with it and put it into practice. And God's people here in this part of Exodus are still early on in the stages of figuring this out. What does it mean to be the people who belong to God and to honor Him with the minutia of each day? And so Moses is finding himself dealing with things like disputes between people. They're trying to figure out how this all looks when they're socially uh, engaging with one another. Um, they're, they're having issues just figuring out personal things. They're coming to Moses and saying, hey, help us. Give us some counsel. Because they recognize that Moses has been given wisdom from God, understanding from God, even having a, a much more direct line of communication with God than they have. We have, have to remember in those days, um, God did not, just, did not make the Holy Spirit available to everyone as He has today for those who receive Him by faith. So we, in the current day here, have the benefit of God being able to one -on -one, go one-on-one -on -one with us directly here in the person of the Holy Spirit. But in those days, there would be a mediator, so priests and the like. And God would speak through prophets and priests to His people. And here, that person is Moses. And so they recognize this and they go to him with all of these issues. Now Jethro, is a, he's independent from all this. And this is, this is a wonderful thing for Moses here and all of God's people because Jethro is not emotionally tied to anything that's going on here. Moses has been investing, pouring everything he has into just shepherding and governing and helping the people of God. I mean, he, he's up to his eyeballs in it, has, has just poured all of himself into this, and Jethro is, is, is able to come in and kind of see things in a diff, with a different set of eyes. And so as he's seeing what Moses is doing from sunup to sundown, that, that he has people coming before him with all of these issues and, and disputes, and Moses is trying to, to teach them what it means to to follow God and to honor God in the midst of these issues that they're having. And, well, Moses is one guy. So, you know, even if, even if only 1% of the people at this point are having issues on that particular day, that's still a really long line of people. And so Moses is, is the, the people are waiting and waiting and waiting to be able to, to bring their case before Moses and Moses is exhausting, and people are getting exhausted. Jethro sees what's going on, and he, he, just, he just says, Moses, what in the world's going on here? What are you doing? What are you trying to accomplish here? Verse 15, And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire to God. So Moses just says, you know, in verse 16, when, when they have a dispute... They come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. So Moses just responds with, well, here's, here's the problem that I'm trying to work out here. I'm trying to help them and shepherd them to teach them what it means to be the people of God and to help them work through all these disputes and issues that they're having. And this, this is a real... This is a real uh, uh, a need among God's people. 
And so, uh, verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you, what you're doing is not good. Now, if you're Moses, put yourself in Moses' shoes. It might not be actually all that big of a step for you to do. Because I'm sure that as I look around here, that most of you have at one point or another or many points along the way been in the position of you have poured yourself so much into something and then someone has said, what you're doing isn't good at some level. And it's crushing. You, you've poured so much of yourself into whatever it is to have somebody now say, this, isn't, this doesn't work. This isn't good. Is, it, can just, it can just make you think, then what have I been doing? What, is, what have I been doing? What has this been worth then that I've been investing into all of this? But I appreciate how Moses responds here because that's, that's how our flesh responds. We take offense to it. We take it personally because we've poured so much of ourselves into this. And our flesh says, hey, who are you to walk in here in my living room and tell me how I ought to decorate? Right? You don't live here. And I could, you know, you could very easily see Moses kind of take offense to what Jethro's saying here, but we're going to find out that the way Moses responds shows us that he believes that the Lord is the one who is ultimately the shepherd of his people and not Moses. And so we're going to see that Moses doesn't actually take this personally like we would be tempted to, and maybe Moses was as well. Because he recognizes Moses, God's put him in line here as a steward of God's people. And God can do whatever he wants. And so Moses' desire, as we're going to see, is ultimately to please the Lord, not to fulfill himself. Well, Jethro's words, what you're doing is not good. Jethro, we're going to see here too, his desire isn't just to come in and be the know-it-all father-in-law who just says, man, you're screwing this up. Why don't you do it my way? I got it all figured out. We see Jethro's heart in this too is really ultimately, hey, I want to help my son-in-law fulfill this calling that God has brought him to. I want him to be successful. I want God's people to be successful. And that comes through in, Je- in what the rest of what Jethro says. Verse 18, You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. He just says, Moses, th- this is not sustainable. He doesn't say the work you're doing isn't good. He's saying the way you're going about dealing with this need isn't good. Because it's not sustainable and it's not ultimately effective in meeting the very needs that the people have. I mean, how much, how much can one man accomplish in one day with dealing with the needs of thousands upon thousands of people? You, you just can't do it. He's essentially saying, Moses, you can't really be effective the way you need to be effective trying to do it this way. And not only that, but you're going to burn yourself out like a, 
crisp piece of, piece of toast through this. And the people are going to be exasperated too because they need to talk to somebody to help them understand this, this thing that's going on in their life that is important and immediate and they don't have anybody to talk to but you, but they have to wait for three days in line to have access to you. Jethro recognizes this. Moses, you can understand, he's in the middle of it running as fast as he can, so it's understandable that Moses is just trying to keep up. He doesn't have time to step back and think, you know, is there a better way to do this? And so God brings Jethro into Moses' life to help steer him in a, in a more successful way for the benefit of Moses and all of his people. This... This, something similar to this happened in the early church. In fact, if you want to turn there with me to Acts chapter 6. After Jesus ascended into heaven and the, the apostles were, um, were, were doing uh, their best to fulfill the, the calling that they had to declare the gospel to people, and to teach them all that Jesus had told them, which is, we find that at the end of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says, tells them to, to go into the world and to, to teach, teach them what He taught them, to make more followers of Jesus. And so they're endeavoring to do that. But as the church grows, there are also needs arising within the body of, of believers that um, are needing to be dealt with. And, and the apostles are finding that, that it's requiring a lot of their time and energy to, to do some of these things that take away from their, from their ultimate and more direct calling of preaching and teaching the gospel and shepherding the whole body of Christ. And, and it's not, of course, that, that any, of the, any of the works that they were doing here were, were bad or beneath them by any stretch of the imagination. But it is, as the body of Christ, God has equipped each of us to fulfill a, 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 a specific part within the body of Christ. Now, there are some things that we are mutually called to. Like, we're mutually called to show grace and mercy. But do you know that God has especially equipped some people to show an extra amount of mercy? They have a way of bringing mercy into into the body of Christ that some of the rest of us just go, wow, I don't know how you do that. I'd have brought the hammer down. Like, we just, you know, you just see it different. Um, or others that, that we come up against some obstacle and, and we, we're all called to trust God. But there are some of you who are especially equipped with a type of faith that goes, you're like David running to meet Goliath. You're like, God's got this. Come on, guys. And while the others of us are sitting back going, Whew, all right, how are we going to do this? We need to rethink this. We need to have a meeting about this. You know, God, so God's equipped us with different measures of, of things as the body of Christ. So it was with the apostles. The apostles had a unique calling within the scope of the body of Christ. It certainly was not beneath them to care for widows in the church. That was part of the scope of their work, but were they to devote all of their time to that, it would take away from their teaching and preaching. 
So let's look at Acts chapter 6. This is one of the issues that, that comes up here. Verse 1, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I don't, there's nothing really here, I don't think, that is, is to suggest that, that they are intentionally being neglected. Maybe. But it doesn't appear that way to me. It appears that there's so much going on here and the needs are growing that, that there's things that are slipping through the cracks here. And it's important. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, do not read into this in arrogance. This is not what they're saying. Because they know full well that what Christ said, if you want to be first, you need to be last. Right? If you're, if you're going to follow me, it means you're a servant to all. So they understand this, and it comes through when we get to read uh, Peter's letters and John's, the Apostle John's letters. It comes through very clearly. They in no way see themselves as being above doing anything in the body of Christ. But what they're saying is, we have a unique calling that other people have not been called or equipped to do. And it's important for us to do that because others can't. So verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and the and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see as they had this issue arise, they were not able to meet all of the needs. And so they recognized, hey, there are, there are some of these needs that could be met by other men who are qualified to do this. There are parts of this ministering that we have some men right here among us who are qualified to help fill in some of these gaps. Men, of, men who are God-fearing, who trust in Christ, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are men of integrity, who, who maybe have not been called to preach and teach, but they certainly are well-equipped and filled with the Spirit to be able to serve in a different way that helps share the load of the ministry. And I, I love verse 7 because it shows that the wisdom that they, they stepped into here was one from God because it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A, a fruitfulness was flowing out of the, the apostles being willing to entrust part of the ministry to other men who were qualified. This can be a really challenging thing for us, right? Uh, maybe, maybe not so much for you, but uh, I, I know... I. For, for several years, I had my own business doing carpentry. And every once in a while, it would get busy enough where I'd think, maybe I should you know, hire somebody to come along with me. And then I just kept running into this realization that I was, was going to be too hard 
it was going to be too difficult for me to take on like having to teach somebody to do it how I wanted it to be done, right? Like there's one way to do it on my job site, and that's my way, right? I don't know if you deal with that at all, maybe in your house or whatever it might be, but, um, but I wrestled with that idea, and we can do the very same thing whether it's in all of life, whether it's in our family, whether it's, uh, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in the church, that we can get, take such ownership of something, um, which, which is good for us to have responsibility and ownership in it, but we can take, take it to the extreme where we see that as our thing that needs to be done our way and we, we lose perspective that this belongs to the Lord. He's sovereign over this. Do you know that there were, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even remember how many, but, uh, but I believe that it's safe to say dozens, with an S, plural, of pastors before me in the life of this church body. Lord's been sovereign through that whole time. I'm not indispensable in the kingdom of God. I am treasured in the kingdom of God by God and hopefully by His people, just as you are. So it is not to say we're worthless. It is to say that God is sovereign over this. And when I pass, He will bring someone else who is well-equipped to shepherd His people in accordance with His will and purpose. Just as whatever role He's given you, He will be faithful to bring in the right people at the right time to serve His body, His family. Because He loves His family more than you and I do. He is more capable than you and I. He is wiser than you and I. He understands the needs better than you and I. He just, he just flat out loves us and is more capable than any of us and all of us together. And so we can trust Him in the midst of that. And the apostles showed that kind of faith when they said, hey, let's find some capable men that we can entrust part of the work of this ministry too." They weren't trying to get out of anything. It was really an act of faith where they said, Lord, this is more than we can do. Um, so, you have to do this. <laughs> you have to bring the right people here to fill the gaps to accomplish your purpose. And we've seen that through the life. I mean, I've been here for just a little over 10 years. And in that short amount of time, I've seen that happen so many times. Where God just brings the right people at the right time to fill the right spot within the body of Christ so that His purpose and His will can be accomplished. And so God is doing in Exodus. We're going to see Jethro's suggestion to Moses here that, hey, this is too big a task for you to do by yourself. The people are underserved and, and uh, there's, there's a lack of, like we see in Acts, there's a, this description in verse 7 there, chapter 6, that there's fruitfulness that flows out of this change that the apostles make in the way they're doing ministry among the people that, that Jethro recognizes there's a lack of fruitfulness here because of the way things are being done. So let's pick it up there in verse 19. Now, obey my voice. 
I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Now Jethro is not suggesting that Moses hasn't been doing that. In fact, what he's doing is affirming that, Moses, you've been called to this, so continue it. Moses is making all the effort he can possibly make to fulfill what Jethro has just said he should continue doing. So Jethro affirms Moses, hey, you've been called by God to serve your people in this capacity, so continue. But the next part is what what, uh, his advice, where his advice really comes into play. Moreover, verse 21, look for able men from all the people, who men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people will also will go to their place in peace. So Jethro suggests that if, if he follows this advice, and there's this little, we'll get back to it, but he makes this little, there's this little line in verse 23 that, that says, hey, the Lord has to put his stamp of approval on this first. He has to be okay with this. But from Jethro's perspective, he says, hey, if you follow this advice, the people are going to go to their place in peace. In other words, there's going to be some fruitfulness among your people that will flow out of making this wise change. Well, very much like what happened in in Acts there in in chapter 6, verse 3. Um, when uh, the, the people, I think we have that one up here, Acts 6, 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The apostles recognized uh, and this, had this wisdom that, hey, let's, let's pick some people to put into these places. Very, mu- very similar to what Jethro suggests here, that Moses... Find find men among the people here who are able, who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate a bribe, who who hate corruption, who hate injustice. We see these same qualities actually reverberate in the New Testament here both in Acts. Um, We actually see it again in 2 Timothy 2.2 when Paul is talking to Timothy. And he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he encourages Timothy to, hey, make sure that you're bringing guys along and training them so that they can carry the work of, of this ministry that God has called you to. So that they're able to continue this calling that the Lord has placed on our life. To share the gospel and to teach people how to follow in his ways. And so Jethro suggests that Moses do the same thing here. And with this with this understanding that, Moses, there are going to be some things that, that need to come straight, straight to you. That, that others are not going to be well equipped to deal with. But a lot of, what, from Jethro's perspective, hey, Moses, a lot of what you're dealing with here, 
You have capable men that can help you out with this. So let them shoulder this with you. Well, Moses, um, I appreciate Moses' perspective and how he responds. I appreciate Jethro's advice because one of the things that, that Jethro says is, if you do this, God will direct you. That's what it says in ESV. And in, a, in the New American Standard and the New Living Translation, it translates that, if God commands. And so Jethro acknowledges that this plan needs to be submitted before the Lord. It, it needs to lay at the Lord's feet first. If he's okay with it, then Moses, you ought to go with this. And I appreciate Jethro understanding that his advice is not the Word of God. His advice is his advice, hopefully inspired by God, but it needs to be prayerfully considered on Moses' part. So as he shares this advice, he doesn't just say, man, you're a knucklehead if you don't do what I'm telling you. He says, hey, take this before the Lord. Consider this deeply, prayerfully, and see if this is where God would direct your steps. And look how Moses responds. He doesn't respond probably like you and I have hundreds of times in our lifetime. When someone gives us advice, we list off ten different reasons why that won't work for us. Like immediately. We don't even have to think about it, right? We just pull out the list and go, you know why this won't work for me? I'll just tell you right now. Boom, boom, boom. Right? But Moses doesn't do that. He doesn't just slap down all of his reasons why Jethro doesn't understand you know, the people of Israel like he does. He doesn't understand the difficult position that God's put him in and how that won't work for Moses. He, he actually prayerfully considers what Jethro says. He shows a thing called humility. Verse 24, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Now, there's probably several of you that are out there going, man, I wish my son-in-law would listen to me and do what I tell him to you because I'll tell you right now, I can... Well, that's not exactly what's happening here. <laughs> um, but Moses is considering what his father-in-law is saying in a prayerful way. And he is willing to receive it if this is what God has directed. It takes a, a heart of humility to do that. Both on Jethro's part, to hold loosely to the advice he's given, and on Moses' part, to receive it with open arms. And being willing to put it into practice and change a lot of what he's doing as a result of that wisdom being shared. But humility is, is at the heart of what Christ has called us to in following Him. In fact, Really, without humility, we can't even come to know Him. So long as we believe that we don't need Him, we will not receive Him as Lord of our life, as Savior. It is at the point that we get to the place where we recognize we need Him that we can then receive Him by faith. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 what we refer to as the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means you recognize your neediness before God. That you need Him. Those are the ones to whom the kingdom of God belongs. Is to those who recognize they need the Lord. It's at the heart of our faith in who He is and our walk with Him. The second thing about humility is that uh, Proverbs 11.2 is it's, there's a lot of wisdom in being humble. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. How, how many times have you just taken a big old pie to the face because you were just too prideful to do anything else? Well, Proverbs says that that's exactly what you ought to expect if you set out to continue in your pride, but when you humble yourself, you're open to receiving wisdom. That's how Moses responds here. It says he listens, which also is, there's another component here to humility um, in our walk with God that we might call teachability that we, we recognize our need for God and we are willing to be taught by Him. That there's not a place where we get to in life where, you know, well, I've been walking with God for 50 years, so can you just stop telling me what I ought to do? Like, I, I've got it figured out from here, okay? We never get to that place. There is always more growing and stretching um, that we need to do in our walk with God. There is never a point we reach where we are totally saturated with, with complete knowledge of God and understanding. Moses, consider the place he's in here. I mean, if, there's, if you're going to pick a guy on earth at this point in history that doesn't need to be taught anything, you would say maybe it's Moses here. Because his relationship with God seems, seems like airtight here. He's, his understanding of who God is, his reliance upon God's sovereignty, that's so admirable. But yet, even Moses recognizes that there's always more for him to learn and understand when it comes to fulfilling his role for the kingdom and glory of God. And so Moses listens. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15.32 Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Sometimes the wisdom that's shared with us is corrective or can sting. But those who deny it because it stings, um, are foolish. Proverbs 19.20 Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs is full of things like, sayings like this. And so Moses listens to Jethro and did all that he had said. And this wasn't a did that just flows out of, well, my father-in-law said it, so now I have to obey. But it was, he prayerfully evaluated, 
Is this from the Lord? And then when he deemed that this is from the Lord, then he did it. He held loosely to whatever system had come into place with himself as leader of of the Israelites. Recognizing, once again, like God's in charge of this operation. This isn't me. This isn't mine. Same thing that the the apostles recognize in in Acts when they implemented their plan in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. I've got some some questions for you to consider. Because at the heart of the way Moses, the reason Moses is able to respond with humility, teachability, is because he trusts God. He so believes in the sovereignty of God over all the problems of Israel that he can hold loosely to the role that God has given him. You know, at some point, and I think Moses understood this, God's covenant was everlasting, but, and God's faithfulness was everlasting, but Moses was not. And Moses' earthly days were numbered. And, and, if it, and if the whole plan hinged on Moses, then the day Moses, is, Moses died, this thing fell apart. That's what would happen. But Moses recognized God is sovereign over all of this. And he trusted in that. Moses knew he played an important part at this point of Israel's history, but he also knew that the whole thing didn't hinge on him. And so he was able to hold to the role God had given him, the responsibilities God had given him. He he worked hard to fulfill the role, but he held loosely to it. The Lord could take it from him any time or change it and do whatever he wanted to with it for his glory and his purpose. But if we don't really trust that God is sovereign, that he's really in control, that he's all-wise and all-knowing, and that he's good and that he's trustworthy, then we're going to hold pretty tightly to our roles in this life, whether it's our role as a parent or our role in a job or our role in a church, that we're going to start to feel like uh, they need me here. Right? Like, they don't just need me as in I need to contribute, but they need me as in if something happens to me, man, this thing is going south in a hurry. Right? And we start to have that attitude within us. And what that really demonstrates is that we really don't have a grasp on the sovereignty of God over that area of our life. I'm finding, now, listen, I'm looking in the mirror on this one as I say it. The finger's pointing right back at me here because I'm a parent with kids transitioning into being totally on their own. So those of you who have gone through that, you get what I'm saying? You know, it's uncharted water here. And I'm wrestling with how to be a parent now in the life of someone who needs to operate independent of me. Right? I haven't got it figured out yet, so, you know, I'll share what I know, but it ain't much. All right? So I'm in the midst of learning this myself. But let me ask you some questions. Are you trusting in the Lord's sovereign power or are you trusting in your own ability? Here's some questions to maybe evaluate that. This one, uh, here's the first one, are, and I don't think I, well, I might have these up, yeah. Uh, are you insecure? 
Meaning, like when Jethro comes to Moses and says, this is not good. Is your initial response, whoa, hold on. Like, I can't receive this because what I do is too important and I cannot be criticized. Right? Like, not that you would say that because that's, you know, obviously too arrogant to say that. But we might believe that on the inside, right? We just can't receive criticism whether even when it's handed out gently sometimes, that we just can't take it. So that would signal to us that we really haven't grasped that God is sovereign over this thing. Are you inflexible to change unless it's your idea? Are you, do you get defensive when others share wisdom with you or counsel or suggestions and you just start, you pull out that list like, bam, I've got, a, I've got a list here in my notes on my phone that I can go to every time that'll list off 10 reasons why I should, not be, I should not do what you're telling me I should do. Are you able to, to listen? I mean, really listen. You know, not, not just like, where it just goes... But like, prayerfully consider what's being shared with you. Are you able to really receive it and consider it before God? Like maybe what they're saying has validity. Maybe it doesn't, but are you at least open to consider it before God? Do you see yourself as indispensable? Now, I know that's not a godly thing to say, that you're too important, that they can't, People can't do without you, but do you believe that in your heart? Do you, when you look at your life, do you see yourself more in the role of Lord of your life or servant of God? As in, God has entrusted something to you, and your job with that is just to serve Him and do what makes Him happy. Or is it that This is your domain, and you have to make it work right. These are all things that might help us uh, identify if we're trusting in God more than we're trusting in ourselves, or vice versa. It's why I had a a godly man once tell me that, hey, if you're going to follow Christ, He needed to be unoffendable. And the more we recognize God's sovereign role in our life, the more unoffendable we will become. Because we recognize there's nothing to take personal here because, number one, God saved me. I'm not getting to heaven on my own. So I've got no skin in the game in terms of like good works that I contribute to this. I need Him. He died on the cross for me and gave me this free gift of life if I trust in Him. That's, that's the way this works. So it's not like I have anything to be proud of here. If I'm proud of anything, it's that I need Him and that He came through for me. The second thing is, the work He's called me to do, I can't take too personally either because it's His work that He does through me so long as He sees me beneficial to doing that work. Right? If I, if, I start, if I were to start viewing uh, my role within the body of Christ here as being my role, 
and not something God had given me a stewardship of, I guarantee at some point God is going to pluck me right out of this spot and put somebody in here who will walk by faith and trust in him to help him shepherd his people. There are marks of maturity as a follower of Christ. And trusting in the sovereignty of God is at the heart of it. And we will, the more we grasp that, we're going to experience a growth in humility, teachability, and just a flat-out faith in His ability to, to sovereignly govern and shepherd and take care of things. I want to end with Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. And, and I'm going to just uh, ask you to jot this, this address down somewhere and revisit this uh, passage this week and consider who God is. And in this particular passage, it's going to be how does Moses and God's people fit into the scope of who God is and what he's doing. But then to make the turn and say, okay, Lord, in light of who you are and what you're doing, how do I fit into this? How does the church body fit into this? But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. So the Lord says that I'm going to do this. Verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning. Who heard? He did. He heard the groaning of his people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Who remembered? He remembered his covenant. His covenant. Verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from, the, from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Do you, you catch the pattern there of God's sovereign power in the lives of His people? We still serve this sovereign God who is powerfully involved in the lives of His people and over his people. So I would ask you this week to take Exodus chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 9 there, and spend some time ruminating on that, and considering God's sovereignty in your own life, and where you may be holding so tightly to some things that you just have not grasped that he actually is in charge and capable of this area of your life, and to submit that to him.
And it could be that it's just your whole life that you haven't come to grips that maybe God is trustworthy with that. And I would ask you to go before him and say, Lord, I need you. And to start there. Because we all are in that place of needing him. Needing salvation, needing help, needing healing, needing life. And he's the only one who can give it to us. And that is why Jesus Christ came to pay for our sins on the cross, resurrected, and ascended into heaven that those who believe in him would have everlasting life. No longer God's wrath. Lord Jesus, we we do thank you that you paid that ultimate price for us and we we submit our lives to you and ask that you would help us to lay the control of our life at your feet, that all of our life would be at your discretion for your pleasure and your purpose, that your power may work in and through us. Lord, we ask that you would help us, like Moses, to hold with open hands what you have um, brought us to, that you would help us to just hold loosely to, to what you've entrusted to us because this is your work. This is your purpose. This is your will that you have invited us to participate in. So Lord, we just pray that you would find us faithful to the tasks that you've given us, that we would not uh, take offense to your correction or suggestions, and Lord, that we would, um, Lord, walk in your spirit and step with you and never against you. Lord, grow us in, in humility and teachability and faith in your sovereign power at work. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'll leave you with uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, following here. Paul writes to, the, to uh, um, verse 15, following. He shares with the church in Ephesus, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the church. He is the head of this body. So let us live to glorify him and let him do as he wills.
according to his good pleasure and purpose. Lord, bless and keep you.